aren't they just great? I love it. Hey, listen, if you were a part of Return to Bethlehem, I want you to stand up just for a second. If you were a part of Beth Return to Bethlehem, boy, look at that. And plus our community, so many people who came. I want you to, I want to give you a hand. I want to thank you for what you've done. It was the most amazing week that I, I've experienced in a long time. So thank you. God bless y'all. You know, our whole community came out. We had 6,050 people come through the, the return to Bethlehem. And, I, you know, a lot of them were in church, but a lot of them were not. And they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They saw the love of Christ in our church and in the churches in our community that, that helped us. And it, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time to have. I just don't know why we don't do it for three or four weeks, you know. I knew I'd get that reaction. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about some little things. Um, if you ever looked in the Bible, there's a lot of little things, and we sometimes have to ask, well, why did you put that in there, Lord? What, what was the purpose of that? Well, you're going to notice in the Christmas story, there's a lot of little things that God used to bring about the greatest message that he had for this world. God used little things to bring about his plan of salvation. And just like he did over 2,000 years ago, God is still wanting to use little things to bring about his will, to accomplish his will, to give him glory. And there are quite a few little things that God used in the Christmas story, and I broke them down into two different points for you. They're in your outline. There is a third point, we'll get to that at the end, but I want you to see, first of all, these first two things that God uses, the little things that God uses, because we have to understand that God is looking for people willing to do his will, willing to obey him. God is wanting the little people, the little places that are in this world, that are in this church, to bring about the greatest story to this lost world. He wants to use us, no matter how insignificant we may feel. And I want you to know this morning that God wants you to feel worthy of his calling. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is in you. You are worthy of that purpose that he has for your life. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 25 through 31 for us, and I'm just going to ask you to follow along. And as we stand together for honoring God's word, I'm going to begin at verse 25. Oh, I love this passage. This passage just speaks to my heart, and I hope it does for you. God says, for the foolish of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than man for consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose 
what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Wow, what a statement. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the the main point right there. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing upon your word. God, that you would open our eyes so we might behold wonderful truths in your law and hide them in our heart that we might be reminded from time to time as we go about our day that it's the little things that you use, little people, little places. And God, you want to use us. Help us to hear you when you speak. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the verses in this talks about how um, God used the things because not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Our world is looking for the best looking. They're, They're looking for the smartest, the most talented, the best entertaining. I did an evaluation of myself on those four points. If it was baseball, I was struck out, and I've got another strike waiting for me next time I'm up to bat. Not the best looking, not the smartest, not the most talented, not the most entertaining. Whatever the category may be, the world wants the best. And there is nothing wrong with that. Since the world can only think of things that are of nature, of natural things. See, but God doesn't function in the natural God functions in the supernatural. So he does not necessarily need your resume, your background, your talents. He can take whatever you have and make something great with it. In fact, God would prefer to use the lowly for the very important reason that we read that only he could get glory. Can you imagine if, if uh, one day you lead somebody to the Lord? You don't go around saying, boy, I saved that person. You see that? Ah, yeah. No, we don't do that, do we? We know that God saved them. But God used you to bring them to salvation. But only he can get the glory. Whatever it is, back to Bethlehem. Yeah. I, I appreciate the leadership. I appreciate the work that everybody put into that. But what we witnessed... Last week, only God can be glorified. It's like David. David, back when he was just the shepherd boy David, 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible describes him as ruddy, a ruddy youth. And I looked that up, it just means red-faced. I don't know if he had an acne problem or what it was, but I mean, he, he, was, just, he was just a young kid. Goliath looked at him and called him a bag of bones. How would this little ruddy bag of bones have a power to overcome the giant because when David came against the giant he didn't bring the gun show he didn't have to show off the six pack 
he said, I come at you, Goliath, I come at you in the name of the Lord. So that all the world will know there is a God in Israel. Beloved, what we do as Christians in Madisonville, Kentucky, what we do as a church, it ought to come out to be saying we do it so that this world will know there's a God, a living God in Madisonville. And he's here to change lives. He's here to help. He's here to strengthen. He's here to encourage. No one else would believe that God could or would use someone like me, like you. So God gets all the glory. We just want to do his will. We want to be a part of presenting the greatest story that is in mankind. So what does God use? And let, uh, I'm going to talk about the Christmas story because it's Christmas. But what does God use to bring about the greatest story? Does he use kings and princesses? Does he use palaces and kingdoms? No. God, we, we see God using the ordinary to show his great power. So on your ally, number one, I want you to see that God uses little people. I want to take a look at some of the little people that God used in the Christmas story to bring about his plan of salvation. Of course, we want to begin with Mary and Joseph. Everybody knows about Mary and Joseph. Now, Mary, she wasn't a princess. She didn't live in a palace. She was a common girl. Nothing special about her. In fact, I don't think you would have hardly noticed her in the market if you were there where she lived as a young, young girl, young woman. But God took notice of her. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, I want to read the King James Version because it gives us three things about Mary that God took notice of. This is the things from God's point of view. He said, and the angel came to Mary and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So we hear that Mary was highly favored. Now you can read a lot into that, and a lot of people do. But here's what the truth is. The Greek, that word for highly favored is grace. Grace was bestowed upon her. It means that she was endued with special honor. It was given to her. Not of something from within, but something that God placed upon her. It, it's something that made her acceptable, made her highly favored. Nothing inherent with Mary. It was a gift given to Mary by God, the gift of grace. Now, that verse also says that God was with her. Now, this makes all the difference in the world. If God is with you, who can be against you? So, here he ha she has the gift of grace. She has God with her. So, when God is with you, no matter what you do, God is behind you. He is before you. He is within you. And God can use you because you do not have to worry about your talent. You don't have to worry about your ability you don't even have to worry about your wisdom. God is with you. And he will give you anything and everything that you need to accomplish his will in your life. And then the third thing Mary had was the blessing of God. Blessed art thou. 
You are favored. You are, God is with you. You are blessed. See, when we have those three things in our life, God can use us. You say, how do we get them? You already have them. If you're a born-again Christian today, you have all three of them. You are highly favored. The grace of God is upon you. You have God with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No matter what stage of your Christianity you're in today, God is with you. And you are blessed. Blessed. Another person is Joseph. God used Joseph. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a rich man. He wasn't a wise man. He was a carpenter, a tradesman, craftsman. But do you know what Joseph did have? Joseph had a word from God. Now think about Joseph's life. Now Joseph gets this word that his fiance, his betrothed, Mary, is pregnant. He knows it's not his. He doesn't know what to do. So he begins to think about what he should do. So he's going to, have, he's going to divorce her. He's going to put her out. Just not go through with the marriage. But then she, he got a word from God. The angel came and told him what was happening. So when he was told by the angel, Mary, Joseph did what God said. He took Mary as his wife. And then he was told by God after the baby was born, you need to move to Egypt. God came to him in a dream. He said, you need to go to Egypt. Joseph obeyed. Here's a very important characteristic for every Christian to get into their heart. We must obey. We have a word from God. We have to be in the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God. And, and God applies that to our life. We need to obey. Not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Joseph was a carpenter used by God to be part of the greatest event in history. And beloved, God can use you. He wants to use you if you're willing to obey. There's plenty of others in the Christmas story. Think about the shepherds, these uh, despised and rejected members of society, but they were accepted by God. Not only that, they were the ones that God wanted to be the first to greet his son who came into the world. And then God used them, these simple common shepherds, to tell everybody the good news that salvation has come to mankind. In the Christmas story, we read of Anna and Simeon. These were two elderly people that um, worked and, and uh, did a lot of things around the temple area that God had given a special promise to that they would see the Messiah before they died. And so as they did come into his presence, they began to prophesy. God used them to testify that this is the Son of God. So God uses all kinds of little people, common people. If you notice, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, Anna, uh, Simeon, they're just common everyday people. Like you, like me. Nothing inherently special about them, just a willingness to be used of God. That's what you need, a willingness to be used of God. But God doesn't only use people. I want you to see this morning, number two, that God uses little places. God uses little places. If you ever look on a map, you'll see that Israel is a very small nation. In fact, I looked it up today. Israel is the 149th largest nation out of 195. 
46 nations are smaller than Israel. That's it, out of all the world. Just 46 nations are, are smaller. 8,012, I think it is, square feet of land. That's equal to the 47th state in the USA. So what does that make? Only three states in the U.S. are larger, are smaller than Israel? That's, that's, why is there so much world attention on that 8,012 square mile of land over in the Mediterranean? I'll tell you why. Because God loves Israel. That's why. And if God loves Israel, Satan and this world are going to hate it. Just like hating Christians. God was going to use that small little nation to bring our salvation. And in that small nation, what city would he use? There's Jerusalem, big city, the capital. No, just a little bit south, a little place called Bethlehem. Backside of nowhere, not, not known for a whole lot, but it was God's chosen place because God chooses little places. And where does God choose to have his son born? Not in the palace. There wasn't a hospital. It was a stable. Probably a hole cut out in a rock near to the end. So the people who were coming, passing by could, could put their animals in there. The travelers could keep their animals safe. And when the baby's born, he's laid in a manger. Oh, a manger. Isn't that nice? A manger. It's a feeding crib. It's where you would put hay or, or, or you know, we look down here and we see this beautiful porcelain, wonderful white gleaming. Oh, it's so gorgeous. That's not how it was. It was a barn and he was, he was placed into a, a feed crib instead of a baby's crib. It was a dirty place in a dirty world that God sent his son. But his birth was not the only place that God used little places in the life of Jesus. After Jesus had finished his ministry here on this earth, he decided to have a, a last supper with his disciples. You know where he had it? In a borrowed room. He had his disciples go up and make preparations in a room that he didn't own. None of them did. He borrowed that room for the last supper. And then after he died on the cross for my sin, they took his body and they placed it in a borrowed tomb. Do you know why you borrow something? You borrow your neighbor's lawnmower or weed eater because you don't want to go out and buy your own, right? You, you, you don't need it all the time. You're just going to need it once a week. So why buy your own? No, you get your own lawnmower. But you borrow something you don't plan on using all the time. I only need it for a minute. Jesus said, I only need it for three days. Let me borrow that and, and th everything will be fine. That's why it's so significant. Jesus said, I only need it for three days because then I'm going to rise again. I only need it for three days because I'm coming back. Death can't hold me. God uses little things. God uses little places to bring about his work for his glory. God uses little people so that he gets all the glory. Again, our text says God chooses the foolish 
the base of this world, so that no human being might be able to boast in the presence of God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, not only does God use little things, but we have an enemy, Satan, that likes to use little things. And I bring this up because there's a lot of people here today that are looking at me like, well, you're talking to everybody else. You're not talking to me because you don't know the things I've done. I know that I'm a born-again Christian, but I don't believe that God wants to use me. I don't believe that God can use me because of what I've done. Well, beloved, I'm here to tell you, that's not the Spirit of God telling you that. That is our enemy, Satan. That is the flesh, which is also our enemy. That's the world, which is also our enemy. And our enemy is always trying to stop us from doing the things that God wants us to do. He wants to stop us from getting God glory that he deserves. So what does he use? Number one, he uses sin. Things that we have done in our life. And I want everybody to hear this. Teenagers, I want you to tune in for just a minute for, for this. But Solomon chapter, Song of Solomon chapter 2, we don't talk about that book much. But in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 14, it says that sin is like a little fox. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that we do. It's the little things in our life that ruin our thoughts of being useful to God. When we give in to sin, the sins that so easily beset us, it starts small. It starts insignificant. We say things like, oh, this won't hurt if I just do it this once. Galatians 5.9 warns us, says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little yeast will make the whole loaf rise a little sin will destroy everything again i think about david david a man after god's own heart later in his life one day he was he was where he should not be he was doing what he should not be doing and he found himself in sin and we're talking about bathsheba he he committed adultery but that didn't that wasn't the end of the story he didn't just commit adultery with her. He began a list of sins that ended with the murder of Bathsheba's husband. David's sin with Bathsheba began with something small, something insignificant. And if you go back and you study the little things in the Bible, you're going to get this. David should have been out of the city. David should have been with his men in battle. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, David sent his servants, David sent all of Israel, but David remained in Jerusalem. See, Satan uses little sins to bring about great sins. Had David been where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing, he wouldn't have been on that rooftop. He wouldn't have seen Bathsheba. He wouldn't have committed adultery. But that one little mistake, we have things in our life that we thought was small, little. It, it really didn't matter too much, but then we committed it. 
and we began to think about what we have done. And sometimes what we have done is go, you know, that didn't hurt so bad. Maybe I'll try it again, and then again, and then more, and then bigger. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. There's a cure. If you're in that boat, you think, well, God's not going to use me. God can't use me. There's a cure. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. See, the enemy is going to remind you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to remind you what you did back in 1976 or 86, 96, whatever your generation might be. He's going to remind you of that little failure in your life all the time. Other people might even remind you of that. But listen, if you've confessed that sin, God will never remind you of that sin. It has been forgiven. It has been cast into the deepest sea. It is cast behind his back. He remembers it no more. And if you're saying, no, I can't be used of God, why would God use such a failure as me? I'm telling you, you're the one that God wants to use. Because you're going to give God all the glory for whatever he does because you know your failure. Whenever you feel your past keeps you from being used of God, remember, that's not God speaking to you. That's the world, the flesh, the devil. Because here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to this verse. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you're saved, you're in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Listen, it goes on. That verse isn't over. Because here's where a lot of Christians fail. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to do my tithe. I'm going to, you know, come to Sunday school. I'm going to do what I can. But that's about all I can do because I failed. Here's the reason why. That verse goes on. It says, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. There it is. See, because we're not getting up and seeking the Lord in his word, we're not having a time of committed prayer daily. We're not walking in the spirit. We're walking in the flesh. We, we got our fire insurance. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I won't have a, a mansion. I'll have a little cabin. There's no cabins in heaven. hate to break that to you. It's the Father's house that there's room for you. Beloved, you need to not walk after the flesh. Don't let the devil, the world, or yourself remind you of that sin. It's been forgiven. Satan will use little things. Not just sin, he'll use our tongue. The words that we say, well, I, I can't even talk to that group anymore because I really blew it. I lost my temper. I did this. I did that. James, in his epistle, tells us the tongue, that little bitty muscle there, is like a spark that can catch the whole world on fire. But that tongue can be used to glorify God as well. So what do you want of your life? Do you want to bring God the glory? Are you comfortable just being that fire insurance holding that policy Christian. Do you want to be used of God? Do great things for God? Beloved, there's more that you have to do than just sit there. 
You need to start walking in the Spirit. Be in His Word. Be in prayer. Find something that God wants you to do and do it with all your might. Maybe you're here today and you've just been allowing the enemy to use the little things that you have done wrong to keep you from fulfilling your purpose. The purpose that God had created you for. This Christmas season, I want you to receive not just the gift of salvation. I want you to receive the gift of forgiveness. And know that you've been forgiven. Now, the hard part. Forgive yourself. Know that holy God has forgiven you. Let it go. Be used of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, I've got news for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can save you. He can take your life and transform it, change it, make you new, make you whole. And we give you an invitation today to come to Jesus as your Savior. We'd love to tell you how to be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, so many times we've allowed little things to get in our way, but we remember how you've used little people, insignificant people. You've lit little insignificant places. And we want to be a part of that, oh God. We want you to use us. We, we want the spirit of return to Bethlehem to be our life. Help us to do that, oh God. Help us to realize that our enemy...